All right, how we doing? We good? Good, 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 man. Man, this is an amazing week. I know you heard about it already, but I just want to celebrate what God did this last week when we uh, all gathered together at our Jasper campus to go and put scriptures in the foundation. It was just really, really cool to, to not only be there, to see people from our church, from both locations there, gather together to pray together, um, but just seeing those the, the, the scripture going into the ground and knowing that that is a part of our foundation, um, I, I think it just spoke volumes not only about the, our church multiplying everything that we believe God wants for us, but saying that no matter what happens, our church is always built upon the word of God. And that is our foundation as a church. And that's exactly why every week, not only do we preach through the Bible, but we are preaching through a specific book in the Bible, the book of Romans or the letter to the Romans. And so this week we're going to be in chapter three. So if you got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to chapter three. And if you don't know where chapter three is, it comes right after chapter two. And uh, so Romans chapter two, just hit chapter three, then you're there. All right. That was a joke. You could laugh if you want, but Romans chapter three is going to pick right up. Speaking of chapter two, where we left off in Romans chapter two. And so you, you need to understand, like, and I say this often, the chapter and verse divisions weren't there originally. And so the thought continues. And so we've got to kind of unpack what we talked about in chapter two and then get into chapter three. And so before we do that, as always, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. And then we'll jump in. All right. Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are, for what you're doing, um, what you're doing in our church, what you're doing through our church to expand your kingdom. This is about you. This is about your word. And that is what we want to go forth, God, because we know that you have said that, that your word will go forth and it will accomplish everything that you send it to, uh, to do. And so, God, as we open your word today, I pray that you would not only bless uh, the reading of it, you would help me to preach it correctly and rightly in a way that honors you, but you would open the eyes and the ears of all of us to understand it and then apply it to our life because we know it is through your word, God, that you bring life and lives are changed. And so we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Romans chapter three, and uh, we're going to look at the first eight verses, uh, verses one through eight, and then we will get into the next part next week, and then we'll be set up for Easter. We're going to be in Romans uh, chapter three, verse 21 for Easter. So that's going to be an incredible message coming up in three weeks, which is just crazy to think it's already that time. But in Romans chapter three, verses one through eight, Paul is going to pick right up in the conversation that he's been having, obviously in this letter, in, in chapter two that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. And in Romans chapter two, just in case you weren't here, but even if you were, I'm gonna remind you. In Romans chapter two, Paul talks about that there's really no difference between a Jewish person and a Gentile person when it comes to having favor with God. Because God shows no partiality. God judges everybody, and all of us are lawbreakers. So Gentiles break the law that they have. Jews break the law that they have. And so he makes this whole point that all of us need Jesus. All of us need the gospel. And when he closes out chapter two, he makes this crazy statement. And, and we talked about it last week that really what it means to be a Jewish person or a true Jew is to be one inwardly. It's all about a heart transformation. It's all about the Holy Spirit coming in and giving us a new heart, circumcising our heart and, and, and changing us from the inside out. And so he's saying, listen, this is all about faith in God. It doesn't really matter what your heritage is. It doesn't really matter what your family line is. It doesn't really matter what your, if you grew up religious or irreligious, that doesn't really matter. It's a heart thing. 
And so he's going to pick right up there where he left off in chapter three. And what he's going to do is, is Paul's just, I mean, Paul's wicked smart. I don't know if you've noticed that yet. But Paul anticipates what the pushback would be to his arguments. He, he anticipates what people would think and what people would say in response to that. And they would naturally say what he's going to say here in chapter one of, verse th- of chapter three and say, okay, then what's the advantage to being a Jew? And that's exactly what he asks. Look at verse one and two of chapter three. He says, then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Verse two, much... In every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now let's let's stop and, and chat here for a minute. You would honestly expect Paul to say, after everything he's talked about in chapters one and two, that there's that there's no advantage to being a Jew. That's kind of what you would expect, because he just has told us for an entire chapter that it doesn't matter if you're Jew outwardly. It doesn't matter what your, your lineage is. It doesn't matter if you were religious or irreligious. And so you would expect now people to, to automatically say, okay, Paul, then if you're saying being Jewish really at the end of the day is about a heart transformation, that, that we are changed inside and out, that's what it means to be in relationship with God, then, then what advantage that it, that do the Jews have? And you would naturally think that Paul would say, well, they have no advantage at all. I mean, nothing. But that's not what he said, was it? No, in verse two, he said, look back at it, much in every way. That's the title of the message this weekend, much in every way. Now let's break those words down, much. Much is what I like to eat, right? Much is, is more than a little. He's saying much is not a little, but it's a lot. Literally the word, it means a great extent or amount. Then he says, in every, so not a little, but a lot, and not in some, but in all. So a lot in all ways. And this idea here, a word way means manner of life or, or, or how it affects us. It's a way of life, how something's done or how it happens. So he's saying much in every way, in every conceivable way. It is an advantage to be a Jew. And then he says this, mainly or chiefly, depending upon your translations, it may say first, and he says they were entrusted with the word of God. Now he's gonna pick this back up in chapter nine, verse four and five. Paul likes to talk about things a lot. And so if you want a reference to, to some more things of, of, of advantage of being Jewish, he, he gets to that in chapter nine, verse four and five. But here he deals with the main one. And some skeptics sometimes will read a, a translation like this or a different per, uh, a way that it's said. And they say first, and they say, see, Paul says first, but he doesn't get into the rest of them. He does get into them later. But the point here of being first is not first in a list. He means this is the most important. So the biggest advantage to being a Jewish person is they were entrusted with the oracles of God or what we would call the word of God and what we now would refer to the Old Testament. Jewish people just refer to it as the scriptures. And so Paul anticipates the argument of saying, listen, even though being Jewish doesn't save you, there is an advantage to being Jewish. 
Because the Jews were entrusted with the word of God. Now, we might think of a similar argument today and say, okay, well, if going to church doesn't save you, if being baptized doesn't save you, then what's the point of going to church and being baptized? If that is not what saves you, if if having a Bible doesn't save you, then what's the point of having the Bible? That's kind of the thought process that Paul's dealing with here. And again, as Christians, as believers today, there's a lot of people that, that think like that. There's a lot of people who say, well, really, if it's just about me and God, if it's just about me having a personal relationship with Jesus, then why do I need the church? Then why do I need the Bible? Then why do I need to be baptized? What's the advantage of all that? To which Paul would say, much in every way. Much in every way. And this is what he's arguing about when he's saying to the Jewish people, saying, listen, you have an advantage in that God entrusted to you his words. You know the word of God. You know the will of God. So there's an advantage. Just because being religious doesn't save us doesn't mean we shouldn't be religious. Just because doing good things doesn't save us doesn't mean we shouldn't do good things. In fact, you'll get into that in just a minute. And so when we think about this, again, from a religious standpoint, so often people will, in this the old phrase, people will throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't know where in the world that phrase came from, and it seems a little odd to me, and I don't know who in the world would actually throw a baby out with some bathwater, but you get the point, right? The point is very simply... Just because we're throwing one thing out doesn't mean we throw all things out. And what Paul has thrown out is the idea that you can actually work your way into right standing with God. That's what he's thrown out. Jews can't work their way in. Gentiles can't work their way in. But we don't throw out the word of God with it. We don't throw out being religious with it. And so Paul's naturally anticipating that this might be an argument that somebody would say when it comes to being Jewish. He's saying, well, what's the point? What's the advantage? What does it help me to be a Jew? Paul says, much in every way. And again, I think this is such a timely message for us in our culture because our culture has become so individualistic Our culture has become just about me and and even in kind of a religious setting, just me and God. And I was referencing this earlier. But there is great advantage to obeying the commands of Scripture. There's great advantage to having the Bible, to being circumcised. We would now say the new covenant sign is baptism. In fact, we've got baptisms coming up in a couple weeks. And even though being baptized doesn't save you, there's great advantage to actually being baptized. Even though coming to church doesn't save you, there's great advantage to coming to church. Even though joining a group doesn't save you, there's great advantage to joining a group. Even though joining a team doesn't save you, there's great advantage to join a team. Do you understand what I'm saying? This isn't a zero-sum game where it's just me and God in heaven forever. The point is simply that, that Paul is making is saying, listen, even though we're not saved by our works, doesn't mean we just throw out everything that God commanded us to do. There's still great advantage to all those things. 
And this is what I want us, again, to think about in, in our culture today is what are the things that we are doing and are they of great advantage to us? I mean, again, I want you to think about that. What are the things that are your routine? What are the things that you do and are they really of an advantage to you? Because there are so many commands in the Bible, again, Old Testament, New Testament, that God gave us and he gave them to us, Jesus said, to our, for our joy or to our benefit. But so often we don't take advantage of all those things. We don't take advantage of the church. Well, let me clarify that. You might be taking advantage of the church just by coming and sitting and just not doing anything, right? But, but my point is this, you're not, you're, not, you're not getting all of the advantage that the church has for you. It's not just the preaching of the word of God, it's the people, right? It's the relationships. And so what are the things in your life and are they really of advantage to you? Are they helping you know and trust God more? And I love that Paul's anticipating this argument. He's anticipating that people are gonna say, well, if, if being Jewish doesn't save me, if, if it doesn't really matter what I do, then what's the point? Well, the point is simply this. God commanded us to do them. And so if God commanded us to do them, then obviously there's a benefit to them. There's an advantage. And I love how he uses the word here, value. There is a value to doing the things that God called us to do, even though doing those things isn't what saves us. Jesus doing those things is what saves us. But it doesn't mean we don't do those things. We do those things now because we are saved, not to be saved. And in doing those things that Jesus commands us, there is great advantage to us. There is great value to us. So are you taking advantage of all the valuable things that God has laid out for you in his word? See, the Jewish people had the word of God. They had the oracles. I love how Paul says that. They have the oracles of God. They, they knew his will. They knew his word. And so, of course, there's great advantage to that. And one of the things that really trips me out about how Paul words this, he says the Jews were entrusted with. They were entrusted with. That word there is the same exact Greek word that we use for the word faith. It's the Greek word pastuo. And this is what trips me out. It, Paul is saying that God had faith in them with his word. He put faith in them. By giving them his word, he trusted them with his word. He trusted them with it. Now, I don't know about you, but you might be thinking, why in the world would God trust us with his word? I don't know. I mean, that's like saying, I'm gonna trust you with my child, right? I'm gonna entrust this. To, I'm, I'm putting faith that you can handle this rightly. You can handle this correctly. And again, I, I think about that today. And our church, God has entrusted the church. And by definition, Revolution Church is a local church, so we're part of the church. He's entrusted our church with the word of God. That's a big deal. He's entrusted me as a preacher, as a communicator, with the word of God. I'm entrusted with that. And sometimes I wonder, like, why in the world did you entrust me with this, God? 
And so if he entrusted us with that, the Bible that you have, which so many of us have so many different copies of the Bible, the Bible that you have, that's the word of God. That is the will of God for your life. And he's entrusted that to you. He has given that to you. He's, he's placed faith in you for that word that you're gonna handle it rightly. You're gonna let it have its full Again, it's full advantage, but it's, it's full working in your life. He gave it to you so that it could work in you. And that's gonna set up better his next argument. Look here at verse three and verse four. He says, but what if some were unfaithful? Again, that word there, unfaithful, the same word there of entrusted, unfaithful means literally the Greek word is apostuo. Does their faithful, faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Verse four, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you might be, may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Now, again, this word faith's a big thing. He just said there, God put faith in them with his word. And then this this word, unfaithfulness, apostuo, anytime you put the letter A in front of the word, it means the opposite. We do this even in English. Uh, the one that I think of most often is the word amuse. In fact, we even have amusement parks. Some of you might even be there this week for spring break. That's fantastic. You should tell Mickey you're high, right? And so the, the idea of amuse, it's the opposite of muse. The word muse means to think. And so when we want amusement, we don't want to think. That's the point. And so you put A in front of the word. He's like, I just want to do something that's entertaining. I don't want to have to think. You know what I'm saying? And so you do a Netflix binge for like three days and you waste your life, right? And that's amusing. You're not thinking and that's the point. And so this word here, apostuo, is the opposite of faith. And so the argument Paul is making first is, okay, what's the advantage of being religious? What's the advantage of being Jews? Okay, they were entrusted. God put faith in them with the word of God. Well, what if they're unfaithful with it? What if they're unfaithful with the word of God? Does that nullify the faithfulness of God? You can almost, you know, Paul's understanding the argument. He's like, why in the world would God trust people with his word? If they're going to be unfaithful, does that nullify? The word there, nullify, is to abolish. It means to invalidate. Does it abolish or invalidate the faithfulness of God? Paul says, by no means. So I was going to choose another title for this week's message. That's what it would be, by no means. And his argument is simply this. Listen, the advantage of being a Jewish person or a religious person or a Christian is you have the Bible. You have the word of God. The advantage of being baptized is that's what God commands us to do. There is value in that, in the church of God. There's an advantage to that. And God entrusts us with his word. But if we're unfaithful in that, does that nullify the promises of God or the faithfulness of God? And the idea here is God entrusted his word to the Jewish people and he made all these promises to them. What well, is their unfaithfulness to what he said to actually do what he said? Does that cancel out the faithfulness of God? Does it invalidate it? Another way we could think about it today is, we talked about this some last week, if you were here, is 
the biggest obstacle so often to people coming to faith is how we exhibit unfaithfulness in our life. So one of the biggest obstacles to people coming to faith in Jesus is us not having faith in Jesus. And so by us not having faith in Jesus, Paul's saying, does that cancel out the faithfulness of Jesus? He says, by no means. And then he quotes what's interesting here. He says, as it is written, he quotes Psalm 51 verse four. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, Psalm 51 is the Psalm that David wrote when, or after I should say, he had an affair with Bathsheba. And so he writes Psalm 51, it's an incredible Psalm. I would highly encourage you to read it. And not only that, but to memorize it because you wanna know what confession and repentance looks like? Read Psalm 51. And so in Psalm 51, David says that he is a sinner and he's confessing. And then he says this, that you might be justified in your words, that God might be proved right, that God might be justified in his words. So does David sinning and being faithless or unfaithful, not only to his wife, but to God, does that cancel out God's faithfulness to David? David's not faithful to God. Does that cancel out God's faithfulness to David? I don't know about you. I want to know the answer to that question. Because I don't know about you. In my life, there's so many times where I'm not faithful to God. I know there's an advantage to his word. I know there's an advantage to doing what he says, but I don't do what he says. So often in my life, I'm unfaithful to the commands of God. I don't faithfully obey them. And I've said this many times, but I got saved as a teenager and really from age 13 to about age 18, I thought every time I sinned, I lost my salvation. And so I would ask Jesus to save me again. Again, I think I've gotten saved like a thousand times. At least that's what I thought. So I would just confess all my sins. And I thought, God, if I'm not saved, save me. If I'm not saved, save me. Because I thought if I was saved, I would never sin again. And I was so concerned that my lack of faith or my unfaithfulness was going to invalidate God's faithfulness to me. And when you read scriptures like this, I love that Paul's answer is so strong and so like, I mean, by no means, by no means does your unfaithfulness cancel out God's faithfulness. Why? Because you and I aren't saved because we're faithful to him. We are saved because he was faithful to us. And how was he faithful to us? He was faithful to us and sending his son to not only pay the penalty for our sin, but through grace, and we'll get to this in just a second, to give us power over our sin. So my salvation was never based upon my faithfulness to him. But here's the real key, nor is it now. It wasn't then it's not now, nor will it be tomorrow. I will not be saved tomorrow because I was faithful to God. I will be saved tomorrow because God was faithful to me and he will be faithful to me and he will be faithful to me and he will be faithful to me. Why? Because he'll never turn his back on his son. And I'm in 
him. I'm in Christ. And so I just want you to hear me say this. And we'll close with this as well. But I want you to hear me. I want you to understand this. Your sin does not invalidate God's grace. Your unfaithfulness to him does not abolish his faithfulness to you. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation, so you can't do anything to lose it. It was all done by Jesus, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I love that Paul says here, listen, even though there's a great advantage to being religious, even though there's great advantage to being a Jew, it doesn't matter if the Jews were unfaithful to God. What matters is that God was faithful to the Jews. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ was Jewish. Jesus Christ came from, again, Paul will get into this in Romans chapter nine. He came from the lineage of David. The very guy who Paul quotes here, Jesus came from his lineage. And so even David's unfaithfulness, this is what's crazy, through the line of Solomon comes the lineage of Jesus. So even in his unfaithfulness, God proved to be faithful. Now, that brings up another question. Oh, if my unfaithfulness doesn't invalidate God's faithfulness to me, and even through my unfaithfulness, then God is faithful. So that just means I can continue to be unfaithful, right? Well, look at where he goes next. I'm glad you asked the question. Look at five, five and six. Again, Paul's wicked smart. He says, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. Verse six, in case you were wondering, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? So Paul's saying, listen, listen, just because you were unfaithful and God's faithful to you doesn't mean you now have a license to continue to be unfaithful. Just because your unrighteousness actually serves to show the righteousness of God doesn't mean that God is unrighteous in punishing us. Think about it like this. If Judas were to, at the judgment seat and say, hey, you can't judge me. I actually, in betraying you, Jesus, I actually led you to the cross. See, I did a good thing. My unrighteousness led to your righteousness being displayed on the cross. So you shouldn't judge me because even though I sinned, I actually helped you in your plan. This is, this is crazy. And again, no parent would ever live like this or act like this. And if you do, you, you need some help. But, but it's the idea of if our kids, if you have a kid came to us and said, listen, I know I broke your law, but in breaking your law, I actually showed that you're a good parent because you have laws. And so therefore you shouldn't punish me because my breaking your rules actually shows that you're a good parent. So see, I'm just showing you that you're a good parent. Well, of course not. No parent would, would think that they're not gonna punish their kid just because somehow in breaking the law, it makes them look like a good parent. They still have every right and they're justified. They're righteous in still inflicting wrath punishment on them. So Paul's saying, listen, just because you are unfaithful, you are unrighteous, God is not unrighteous in judging you for it. He still has every right to judge you. And when he judges you, it's showing his 
righteousness because he has to judge sin. Which then brings up the last argument. Look at verse seven and eight. He says, but if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Verse eight is the one I really want to focus on. And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Now, we've been talking about lot, and you got to hang with me here, and this is some heady stuff. I mean, as we go through Romans, you got to understand, Paul's going to deal with some, some hard stuff. And just so that you can be encouraged, Peter, one of the other apostles of Jesus, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, he actually says about Paul's writing, listen, they're hard to understand. So the Bible says about the Bible that it's hard to understand. So if you ever read through, especially Romans, and, and as we've read through these last eight verses, you're like, I mean, this, I don't know what, I don't understand everything Paul is saying here. Listen, Peter said that too. But, but Paul is doing something here on purpose. Again, he's naturally anticipating the arguments or the pushbacks to what he's been saying. And so what he said is, again, it's all by grace. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Then you think, okay, then what's the advantage of being Jew? Well, much in every way. You have the word of God, you should obey. What's the point of being a Christian? What's the point of obeying God? Everything. There's a lot of advantage to that. And just because you don't obey doesn't nullify God's grace back to you. doesn't nullify his faithfulness. Oh, okay. If I don't have to be faithful... And, and my unrighteousness actually serves and he shouldn't judge me. And then verse eight, why shouldn't I just keep going being unfaithful? Why shouldn't I just keep doing evil so that good would come? We might say it like this and Paul's actually gonna deal with this in Romans chapter six as well. And we'll get to that a while later. People say, well, if God's grace covers all my sin, then why can't I just keep on sinning? If God's grace covers all all my sin, then why, not, why don't I just keep sinning so that grace may abound all the more? And Paul's saying, you're crazy if you think that way. Again, our faithlessness doesn't cancel out his faithfulness. He's faithful to forgive, but his faithfulness to us does not give us a license to continue to be unfaithful. So you gotta understand Paul's logic here. Paul's saying, listen, you can't earn your salvation. Jesus did. And his faithfulness to you cancels out the penalty of your sin. But you need to understand that this grace to you in Christ isn't a license to keep on sinning. Because that's, why would God send his son to die for your sin and then say, oh, that's cool, keep doing it. No, the grace that he gives you not only covers, again, the penalty of your sin, but it now gives you power over sin. This is what Paul says in, to Titus in Ch Titus chapter two, if you want to just write down a reference. In Titus chapter two, I believe it's verse 11. He says, and grace has now appeared, and grace, depending upon your translation, says actually teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So grace is not a license to sin. Grace is a power over sin. And that, again, listen to these arguments, that is a sign that your heart has been changed. A sign that your heart has been changed as you understand the advantage, 
the benefit to obeying God and you don't ever twist the word of God. You don't ever contort the word of God to become a license for you to do the very things that God saved you from. So here's the two parts of the message. God is faithful to forgive your sins, but don't presume on his kindness. Don't presume on his faithfulness and say, well, if he's going to continue to be faithful, then I'll just be unfaithful to him. Paul would say, well, if that's your heart, then your heart's never been changed. If that's your heart, if that's how you approach it, then you don't understand what God did for you. And here's what we need to understand. If that's our thought, he says, their condemnation is just. See, one of the things that Paul was, he says here, slanderously talked about. I gotta be honest with you. When I read verses like this, I'm like, okay, good. I'm in good company. When people talk about me, I'm just like the apostle Paul. And, and one of the things that they would say about Paul is Paul was so animated in preaching the gospel. I mean, he would go, you just read it in the book of Acts. He just went everywhere preaching the gospel and he would get locked up and we would get locked up and, and he would just, you know, keep doing it. They, I mean, they would try to beat him. They shipwrecked, snake bitten. I mean, you just, you couldn't stop Paul. So he was always preaching the gospel and he was telling to the Jews and Gentiles, listen, it doesn't matter if you obey the law, you're, you're a lawbreaker. So then people were saying, oh, okay. So Paul takes the law lightly. Paul doesn't believe that we should continue to obey the law. And so people were twisting his words to say, oh, then, then if God's faithfulness cancels out my sin, then I could just keep being unfaithful to him. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm not doing away with the law. I'm elevating it. I'm elevating it to show you, number one, you can't obey it. But I'm elevating it, number two, to show you that Jesus did obey it. And I'm elevating it, number three, to show you that now by his spirit, you too can obey it. You too now have the power of, if Jesus obeyed the law perfectly, and now his spirit lives in you, then what is his spirit going to lead you to do? Not disobey the law, but obey that law. And so the good news of the gospel is this. Again, two parts. The good news of the gospel is very simply. It doesn't matter if you've broken the law. It doesn't matter if you've been unfaithful to God because God has been faithful to you. And Jesus Christ kept the law for you. And so if you're here today feeling condemned because you can't keep the law perfectly, I want you to understand something. Your unfaithfulness or faithlessness doesn't cancel out his faithfulness to you. He is faithful to you. Again, that is such a comfort to me knowing that my sin doesn't cancel out his grace. So there's some of you here today, you need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of the fact that God is so faithful to you. That God's Grace covers all past, present, and future sins. But there's another group of you here that you need to be reminded that his grace is not a license to keep on sinning. His faithfulness to you is not 
an excuse to continue to be unfaithful to him. And now your heart is to obey him. I'm not saying you're going to do it perfectly. And I'm not saying if you don't do it perfectly, you're not saved. Here's what I'm saying. Your heart towards him and his law is to obey it. And so you're constantly confessing, God, I'm sorry when I break your law. And you're constantly asking for more grace to obey his law. And so in either one of those, again, I love on either side of the road is a ditch. If you think that you can't obey the law perfectly, there's grace. And if you think you don't have to obey the law, there's grace. Because grace not only removes the penalty, but it gives you the power. Not only moves the penalty of your sin, but it gives you the power to overcome your sin. That's why this is called good news. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, thank you for your word. And even though like the apostle Peter said, sometimes Paul's words are hard to understand. This is some heavy, weighty stuff that we've talked about here. We talk about the gospel and the law and how they work together. God, I pray for those that are here that they are so wrecked by their sin, so heartbroken over their unfaithfulness to you. God, please don't let them believe the lie that somehow their unfaithfulness to you cancels out your faithfulness to them. Remind them, God, that your grace covers all sin. Christ died once and for all. He doesn't need to die again. His sin, his death atoned for all our sin. And so if there's anybody here, God, that thinks that they're just too far gone, thinks that there is no way that you could cover their sin, I want you, please, God, by your spirit, would you show them that your grace is enough? Nobody looking around or, or talking here as we close as, as always, if there's never been a point in time in your life where you have trusted Jesus, where you have come to Christ and you've confessed your unfaithfulness. Like David did in Psalm 51, when he talked about how his sin was ever before him. There's never been that moment where you've trusted Christ. I want you to understand something. God is faithful enough to save you, even you. And if you'll simply, in faith, trust that Jesus took your place for your sin and he beat it by raising to life again, the Bible says you'll be saved. So if you want to trust Jesus for the first time right where you are, I'm going to ask very simply to pray with me, not out loud, and it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. Thank you for being faithful to me. 
for covering my unfaithfulness. I ask you to forgive me. Save me. I give you my life. Nobody looking around or talking again, but if you just prayed that with me, would you just very simply lift your hand so we can see that? Thank you. Thank you. We got men and women walking around going to put a gift in your hand and when they do, you can put your hand down. But then those of us here who would say that you've trusted God, again, two things I would say to you. One, don't think that your lack of faith cancels out his faithfulness to you. Don't think that any future sin can force him to not be faithful to you. You are not that strong that you can cancel out God's faithfulness to you. But please hear me at the same time. Don't presume on his faithfulness to think that, oh, if he's gonna cover my sin, I can just keep sinning. I can just keep being unfaithful. No, it's not a license. Grace is not a license, it's a power. And so if you're like me and you still struggle with sin, the solution is still the same. Confess, repent, and ask God for more grace. And he will give you grace, again, not only to save you from the penalty of sin, but to give you power over sin. He wants to free you from the things that he died for you for. He's that faithful. Father, thank you for loving us that much that you give us freedom, not only from the penalty of our sin, which is death, but you give us power over how sin still brings death in our life. Help us to see that there is such great advantage to following you to obeying your commands, to not only having the Bible, but obeying it. Help us to take full advantage of your word. Help us to take full advantage of your church, the people of God. Give us grace to obey you, to be faithful to you, while at the same time knowing that we're not saved because we're faithful to you. We're saved because you're faithful to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.